Well, we are beginning a series today on relationships, and here is our scope. We're going to try to touch every type of relationship there is. We're going to talk about relationships in, in a way that hopefully will have a powerful impact on your marriage, uh, because marriage is one of the, obviously, the most uh, important relationships that there is, but many of you are not married, so maybe your dating relationships are certainly your friendships how you interact with people at school or how you interact with people on your athletic team or how you interact with people at church. Really, life is all about relationships. And after your relationship with God, there's absolutely nothing more important than how you interact with other people. Several years ago, Reader's Digest had an article, and here's what they said that 70% of people who are fired or let go from workplaces, it's not because of incompetency, it's not because they didn't know what to do, it's because of personal relationships. They cannot get along with other people. Did you hear that? 70% of people lose jobs. It's more based on how they interact with people than on their skill set. That's phenomenal. I mean, that's you make a living uh, and, and your life is built a lot around, especially as an adult, how you, uh, how you do at work. John Maxwell is a great leadership expert. He's a former pastor. And he said if you really sat back and you were honest with yourself, much of the, the happiness in your life or the sadness, the success or the failures, comes down to relational success or relational failure. So what we're going to try to do the next six weeks is take it from God's perspective how you and I can be successful in our interactions with other people. So this morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament. If you have a Bible, if you don't, no problem. It'll be on the screens. But I want to talk about the two most important people in any of your relationships. In every relationship that you have, these are the number, th- number one, number two people in any relationship. And we're going to start with this. Jesus is the most important. Now, you, you, some of you are going, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to say this. I'm, I'm a preacher, but I'm saying this because this is absolutely true. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what Jesus was saying. If you will make me the center point of your life, if you will make me the center point in your marriage, if you will make me the center point in your home, if you will make me the center point in your relationship with your kids or with your parents, and as much as you have control over at your workplace or on your athletic team, if you will make me the center point in your world, this is the foundational key for all other successes. Now, here's the truth. Most of us want Jesus to be the co-pilot, not the pilot. That was a neat little bumper sticker. Jesus does not want to be your co-pilot. Jesus wants to fly the ship, okay? Most of us, we have, we've been dipped a little bit in Jesus. We've been sprinkled. Now, you may say, well, I'm a Baptist. I've been immersed in Jesus. Well, you've been immersed in the tub, but most of us, we have a little bit of Jesus on us, just enough to get us wet, uh, enough that we can talk about Jesus. But our life, listen, if you want your relationships to soar, 
You need to bring Jesus into the, the smack dab middle and is the dominant person in your relationship. That means church. That means prayer. That means being in your Bible. That is the first thing. The things we're looking at this morning are the foundations. If you, if you can't get these right, your relationships are always going to be a little bit upside down and you're going to have problems, okay? Jesus is number one. Here's number two. It's you. Now, I know that's what many of you wanted to hear, that I am the most, second most important person in the relationship. I am the king. I am the queen. That is exactly what I do not mean to communicate. What I mean is, in a relationship, in a relationship, the only person you ultimately have control over is you. The only person who you can get to do the right things is you. Now, again, if this isn't important to you, you're going to be a loser and a failure in almost every area of your life. If you want to get this, it starts with Jesus, and then it starts with you. I want to give you three words for you and me this morning from relationship. And what you need to be, what I need to be, and what we need to take in and bring into all of our relationships. The first word is responsibility. It's responsibility. An ugly word in our society today, but yet a great word. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, God through Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy appropriately of the calling that you have received to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.1, and again, we'll look at this more in a little in depth in a moment. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Imitate Jesus Christ. Your model is not you. Well, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be who I am. You, as, as a Christian, you are called to, the, to imitate Jesus Christ. He is your role model. He is your example. Listen, one thing that you can know about Jesus Christ, if you study his earthly life here, that 30 plus years he was here on this earth, is he was a person that took responsibility. This wasn't a guy that shucked responsibility. He didn't go around blaming other people. He didn't go around expecting other people to do the right things first. He took responsibility. Now let me stop and I'm going to preach to you for just a moment. Some of you need to quit blaming your husband and wife for all the problems in the last 200 years in world history. Amen? Well, it's my husband caused the Civil War. It was him. Well, he wasn't born for 100 years. It's still his fault somehow. And some of you men, you're the same way. She burned the biscuits this morning and she started World War I. Quit blaming other people. Well, if my friends were just different, then everything would be good. If those people at church were just... Listen, and I want to tell you, I understand that you have some people in your world that are evil and they're crazy. I understand that. You can't, you can't fix them. But the principles we're going to talk about, that if you will flesh these out in your life, these things will make 90% of your relationships soar. Quit blaming everybody else. Quit saying, well, it's, you know, I've worked at 15 places and all my bosses have been bad. You know, bye, Mira. Or I've had to fire 40 people in the last two weeks. All my employees are bad. Well, there's a real slight chance that's true. Maybe it's you. We start, we start relational success 
when we begin to take responsibility for our relationships. I can't control you, but I can control me. If, if there's a series of people in your life, you look, you can't get along with, you've had problems, maybe it is you. Winston Churchill was the great English leader during World War II. Here's what he said. He had a lot of great quotes. Here's a great quote. He said, the price for greatness, the price for leadership, if you're going to be a leader, you're going to be great, you must take responsibility. You must take responsibility. That's certainly true with relationships. You've got to take responsibility. I saw this acronym from the word pride. This is if you're taking notes. This didn't come from me. It's not original to me, but really is good. The, the Bible never speaks of pride in a good way. The, ne- the Bible never does. It never says pride or, or, or obviously arrogance is a good thing at all. But this is an acronym from the word pride that really is good for every area of your life, certainly for your relationship, certainly for let's go with your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents. Taking the word pride, this guy spelled out personal responsibility for individual daily effort. That's great. I'm going to say, you know what, my wife, she's sitting right down here, so I'll be careful what I say this morning. Man, she needs to be different. But I need to take responsibility for me. And, and she may say the same thing. I'm sure she feels that. She just doesn't have the, the microphone right now. Where she can say, you know, he needs to be different, and I do. But you need that pride, that personal responsibility for individual daily effort in every area of your life, certainly in your relationships. I want to read to you, and I've got several like tombstone stories today. It's kind of creepy. There's like four, but they really are good. This is uh, in Westminster Abbey in England. If you were to ever go over there and you go in some of these old churches, there's like tomb, there's people buried in the churches. It's kind of creepy. Uh, can you imagine you, know, you walk out and you trip over and say, oh, yeah, that was an old preacher here a uh, thousand years ago. He's buried here. Th- this was an Anglican bishop from the 11th century that's buried in Westminster Abbey. Listen to what is written uh, at his tomb. He says, when I was young and free, my imagination had no limits. I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered that the world would not change, so I shortened my sight somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew in my twilight years and one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family. Those closest to me, but alas, they would have none of it either. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I realized if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family. And maybe from there, from there, the inspiration and encouragement they saw in me, I would then have been able to better my country and who knows, maybe to have changed the world if I had only changed myself. Personal responsibility relationships, marriage, every, every great relationship starts when people quit blaming and start taking responsibility on it for themselves. Our second word this morning is surrender. It's surrender. Now, we talked a moment ago about Jesus and about him being the centerpiece, and, and not in a churchy way, but in a way that, that is so important. If you want the best relationships, Jesus has got to be first, but that cannot stay that cannot stay in a generic, general way. It's got to become personal. And it, it, it happens when we surrender ourselves to Jesus. 
In, in chapter 4, again, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Paul was a prisoner at the time he wrote this. Ephesians is what's called one of the four prison epistles or four prison letters. Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest. And, and Paul is saying here, he's saying a, a couple of things. He's saying basically, hey, I'm in jail. I'm in jail because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But he says this even clearer in other ways. He says, you know what, I'm in jail for following Christ. But the bottom line is, I am a prisoner of Christ. I belong to Christ. In, in, in a true prison setting, a prisoner is a captive. They no, have no rights, no privileges, basically. They are under the total rule of the people who run the jail are the prison. And what Paul's saying is, I am sold out to Christ. I am totally under his control. I am completely God's. And I want to ask you this morning, honestly, have you ever, have you ever entered into that relationship with Jesus? In other words, are you genuinely a Christian? You, you would be it would be unbelievable what would happen in a lot of marriages, a lot of families, and a lot of relationships if one or both people truly got saved. And if you're a Christian, are you, are you staying surrendered to Christ? In Luke 9, 23, it says that if anyone's going to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Listen, as a Christian, our goal is to stay constantly surrendered to Jesus Christ. You want to be a better husband or a better wife or a better friend or a better boss or better employee. You wake up every day and you re-surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You stay under him. I think he spells it out very well in Ephesians 5, 1, 2. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. I read an article this week about theological schools. Theological schools are preacher schools, basically. And I've been to two of those. And the article said, here's the problem with preacher schools is they spend so much time talking about theology and the Bible and philosophy that if they're not careful, they forget the bottom line is not what you know, but what you do with what you know. You notice in verse 5, he doesn't say, hey, you need to be imitators of God so you can go out and win every religious argument or so you can know more than the next person. He said, you need to be imitators of God that you look like Jesus Christ in your life. This is tremendously practical. D.L. Moody was a great preacher in the 1800s, and he said the Bible was not given primarily for information, but for transformation. It was given so you and I would be different. We'd be different. I'm afraid a lot of times what's happening in our churches today is we're more interested in gathering knowledge so it, we can be puffed up versus knowledge so it can transform our lives. I, I read a great story about transformation. Happened in World War II. There were some American soldiers as, as we began to fight in the Far East. They came upon an island in the South Pacific, and on the island were natives. One of the natives came up to an American soldier. And he showed him a Bible. He said, years ago, your missionaries from America came here and they gave us this Bible and we found this Jesus and we've been transformed and we've been changed. And the soldier who he was talking to kind of brushed him off and said, oh, we've kind of grown past that Bible and that Jesus stuff. And the native smiled and said, you better be glad that we haven't or we'd be having you for dinner tonight. <laughs> 
You see, when Jesus gets in you, he comes out of you and he makes a difference in your life. You know the fundamental way today you can tell if you're a Christian? It's if Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life. You you know the fundamental way you can tell if you're growing as a Christian? It is not about knowledge. It's about this. Are you becoming more like Jesus? How many of you women would have liked to have been married to Jesus? Maybe not. He was perfect. That would have been difficult to deal with. Sure you would have because he would have been so awesome. Men, God's calling us to be like Jesus. And Jesus was a a, a man, so it's hard to change that illustration. But you know what? If, if your wife was like Jesus, it'd be easier. If your parents were like Jesus, it'd be easier. Give me an amen, kids. Caleb, did you say amen? <laughs> parents, if your kids were more like Jesus, it'd be easier. Greg Phillips, can I get an amen? What if your friends were more like Jesus? What if your boss was or your employees? What if you were more like Jesus? You see, relational skills don't start with how smooth you are. They start with the foundation you have in your heart. When you say, in every relationship, as much as I have control... I'm going to bring Jesus to the center of it. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to quit blaming my husband, my wife, my family, my friends, my kids, my boss, my employees. I'm going to take responsibility, and I'm going to stay surrendered to Jesus. Wow, you're already making your relationships a thousand times better. Let me give you one other word, and that's the word humility. None of you need this, but you know someone who does, correct? So take good notes because they need to hear it. I talked to my staff, the last ministers, the last few weeks, and I asked them, what do you think the number one problems are in relationships? And one of the things that came up several times was pride, arrogance. Uh, and, and there's no question about that. Let's read verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 1 is a prisoner of the Lord. I urge you to live a life worthily, appropriately, of your calling in Christ. And then in verse 2, he describes that. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. The word completely there means totally. It means absolutely. Most of us may dabble in humility or gentleness. Those are the two words we're going to look at this morning. God says, I want this to be totally in your life. The word humble there means lowly. It doesn't mean that you have a bad self-esteem or a bad self-picture of yourself. It means you see yourself properly as you're under God. That you're equal to people but not better than people. And a twin word that goes with it here is the word gentle, which is the word being meek. And meek is not weak. In fact, this word literally means strength under control. It's a picture of a big horse that's been tamed with a little kid riding the horse. The horse is strong, but it's strength under control. God says, I'm calling you, man, this is all relational. I'm calling you to be humble, 
and gentle towards people. Again, in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love as Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Fifty times in the Old Testament, it talks about sacrifices going up to heaven and being pleasing to God. And what he's saying here is that Jesus' death and his resurrection and essentially Jesus' whole life was a fragrant offering to God. That's what he's calling you and me to. He's calling us to live a life that is, that is a fragrant, beautiful aroma to God Almighty. Wow, that's awesome. I saw a book title a few weeks ago. I'm not criticizing the book because I hadn't read the book, but the title of the book was The Swagger of Jesus. You know what swagger is? is you know, swagger is, is the strut. Uh, you know, I'm cool, I'm tough. You know, that is so stupid. I'm sorry. The swagger of Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says, Jesus said, learn from me, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Jesus was just the opposite of some cocky, pull out my chest and bump you around type of person. Just the opposite of that. I want to ask you this morning, how humble are you? I got two more tombstones I want you to see. Again, I don't know who sent me these. I'll blame it on them. I won't take responsibility for being creepy. But let's look at the first one. These are, these are literal, literal tombstones, okay? Faults I may have, but being wrong is not one of them. How many of you think you know who that person was? <laughs> okay, here's another one. All we know is her name was Eleanor. She's still alive. There is not a death date there. One errant female has fun. The ornament of her generation, beautiful, witty. This had to be a, somebody else that did this, obviously. Brilliant, talented, eloquent, charming, frugal, and modest, erected by herself. Do we have any Eleanors here today, by the way? Wow. You imagine those people were fun to live with or are fun to live with? I dare you to do this this week. I dare you to do this. I want you to get four or five people, and I want you to ask them, am I arrogant? Am I prideful? If you're married, I want you to ask your husband or wife. Now, listen, I realize with some of you, you're not going to get the truth because some of you men are scared to death of your wives, and you are not going to tell her the truth. And unfortunately... Some of your wives are so beat down or intimidated by you, they're not going to tell you the truth. Beg them to tell you the truth. Am I arrogant? Find some friends who will be honest with you. I don't mean people who are going to, oh, you're wonderful. I mean people who will be honest with you. And ask them, do I come across as arrogant? Do I come across as prideful? Do I come across as unteachable? Do I come across as, yes, I was there with God when we created the universe? I dare you to ask some people that this week. Let me tell you what happens. When you and I live and do life, we're talking about with other people, from a position of arrogance, we turn them off. And then they tune us out. Someone said pride is the only disease that makes everyone else around them sick except the person who has it. 
I know, and listen, I'm not being sarcastic or trying to be funny. Some of you in here are very smart. That does not make you better than other people. Some of you have pristine passes. You, you don't have a lot in your past that's bad. And you know people who do. That's great. That doesn't make you better. Some of you have a lot of toys. You have more toys than other people. That, that's great, but that does not make you better. Some of us are cursed with being good looking, right? Did you get that? Early service was much more attuned to that, weren't they? Seriously, some of, you, some of you are very pretty. Some of you are very handsome. My wife will ask me, do you think he's a handsome man? I don't know what a handsome man is. If he's got teeth, I guess so, yes. <laughs> but being good looking doesn't make you better. What? What has put you up on your horse? Did your mama tell you that you were the greatest thing ever? She lied. I mean, you listen, I want you to hear this. There's nobody in the world more special than you. But there's nobody in the world that's less special than you. Amen? Did you hear what I said? There's nobody in the world that's less important than you are. Yet you're not any more important than other people. And when we live from a position of arrogance, we alienate our husbands, our wives, our kids, our parents. I read this week, one of the things that kids need to hear from their dad more than anything else is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of you men, if you went home today and you apologized to your wife, we'd have to rush her to the hospital. I'd get a call. I don't know what happened. She fainted and we called 911. Just put her feet up and put an ice pack on her. She'll come back to life. Maybe, maybe some of you women, if you apologize to your husband, he'd break down in tears like a little child. You see, when, when we're prideful, we won't say we're sorry. We won't admit we were wrong. We're not teachable. We're not open. And all that does is it just messes up all of our relationships. So if you want to go through life lonely, maybe self-deceived because you're arrogant and you think everybody else does love you, but if you really want to be lonely and you want to be self-deceived, go through life cocky and alienate people and you're guaranteed your relationships will never be what God intended them to be. I want you to see one last tombstone. I'm almost committed next week to be tombstone-free in the sermon. This is a literal tombstone, too. The guy's name was Bernard. Bernard. He was born in 1904, and he died in 1993. He lived 89 years. Look, listen to this. This is incredible. The legacy of BPH, liar, thief, cheat, selfish, unsharing, unloving, unkind, disloyal, dishonorable, unfaithful. Everyone I showed that to this week could not believe that was true. And Josh was like, man, don't you let Janelle do that to me. <laughs> There's several morals there. Number one, you determine what's on your tombstone. <laughs> but every single one of those were a relational failure. 
Most of the time at funerals, we have enough courtesy and decency, we don't say bad things about the deceased, and that's good. But wow, let, let me tell you, you're leaving a legacy. And the biggest legacy you're leaving is not your money, it's not your fame, it's not your importance or significance, it's your relationships. It's you and Jesus and you and other people. Your family may not put that on your tombstone, but you, I, I want to ask you, if you died today, would they be thinking it? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to get right, to make the adjustment, whatever you need to do in your life and your relationships this morning. If you're here and you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you are, would you, if you're ready today, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And I ask you now to save me, Jesus, to save me. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment, and I'm going to challenge you to respond to what God said to you. Maybe this morning you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart, or you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come this morning and seal that deal with you in Jesus? Maybe you're here today and, and you'd like to join our church. One way you can do that. And when we stand, you can slip out and come and join us. Folks, you need a church. You need the relationships of a church. Come and join us this morning. Christian, maybe this morning where you're standing or maybe you need to leave your seat and come to the altar and pray with the minister or get on your knees before God and ask God to make the changes in your life so your relationships will last and survive. Let's stand as God leads you. You come this morning. We'll be waiting on you.